This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. There is a queer angle to every issue, and we will find it. But don't expect us to be nice or politically correct. Nothing is sacred, and the team will be finding the queer and profane wherever we can on Joy 94.9. Is nothing sacred? Hello and welcome to Is Nothing Sacred on Joy 94.9. We have some sad news, ladies and gentlemen. This is our third last show. It certainly is. (laughs) If you're sad... Tell us you're sad because that would make us happy. <laughs> you can SMS on 0427 well, join won't make us happy. It'll make us less sad. Less sad. Or Thanks, Jim. email on air at joy.org.au. But fear not, we've got still got three shows to go. This week we're doing a bit of a NADOC week retrospective. Next week we're going to do an election recap. It was going to be this week, but then the election bloody dragged out for so long we had to delay it. And then, third oh, and one. we're going to have on the um, election night special. We're going to have um, Gareth Hutchins from the um, Guardian and Crispin Hulls from Fairfax talking to us about what the election meant. Indeed. So listen for that next Monday night. But now, but right now we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about NADOC Week and why NADOC Week is important, not just for the Aboriginal community, but for the general Australian community and even for the queer community. And we've got a special guest, and we hope we can have a special surprise guest later. But we don't know yet because we're not sure whether the um, mode of transportation is working properly. So, but we have in the studio with us um, former Joy presenter and Aboriginal activist extraordinaire Brian Andy. Hello, Brian. Hey, how you going? Welcome. Thanks for having or Wamajeka, me. Or Womenjika, yeah. Womenjika to speak in the local uh, Wurundjeri language. Good. Well, we do want to talk about NADOC Week. Can you tell us about what NADOC Week actually is and what it's done? Because it actually means the, the uh, National Aboriginal and Island Day of Commemoration, doesn't it? That's right, yeah. NADOC started in the 1930s by the Aboriginal Progressive Association of, uh, Progressive Association of Australia, and it's a New South Wales-based movement of Aboriginal people, uh, my countrymen, Yorta Yorta people, uh, people from around the New South Wales region and southeastern parts of Australia. Uh, they were doing a lot of activism in the 30s and um, I think it was 1930. Uh, oh, actually, I've, in the 30s, basically, I won't give you a date because I'd be lying. But they staged a day of mourning. Well, it doesn't in really, Sydney. you know, a, day, a, a date doesn't we, really matter in 50,000 years. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it was before <laughs> I was. Time, before all of our time. And um, but yeah, they staged a day of mourning in Sydney, which uh, was held on January 26. As many of our listeners will know, listeners will know, is Australia Day, or what we call Australia Day. They want to mark, I guess, the 150th anniversary of uh, the invasion of Australia, and they called it a day of mourning, and that was the, I guess, the starting point for NADOC Week, and it was a political um, activist-inspired activity in Sydney, and, uh, and then it became, a, I guess, a celebration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture as time went on since the 30s. I think um, the former governor of South Australia and... 
and William Onus were also heavily involved, weren't they? Yeah, people like Sir Doug Nichols, um, who was, yeah, the former governor of South Australia. He's, I mean, not to, you know, get all nepotistic or, you know, but he's, again, a countryman of mine, a Yorta Yorta man from Kamragunja, which is where I'm from. And, um, yeah, like people like uh, Sir Doug Nichols, uh, William Onus, uh, Bill Patton, uh, who else is there? William Cooper. They're all kind of active. And also women, too. I've got to uh, remind us of the women. People like Marge Tucker uh, are all uh, strong activists, strong Aboriginal activists in the 1930s, 1940s. And they, I guess, brought about this observance of saying, hey, we're still here. We need our rights observed mm-hmm. or honoured. And so that's how NAIDOC started back in the 30s uh, through this day of mourning. It's also really important, isn't it, because it it actually gives a living face to, to Aboriginal history, which has managed to survive white settlement and yeah, we're pretty 50,000 years of being of... squatted on this land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're pretty good at suppressing Aboriginal aspects of our history in this country. And, um, you know, I mean, I had to go to university to sort of look at it myself or hear it from my elders directly. But um, it's really hard to access Aboriginal history. And so NAIDOC is an important time that we hold in July, but also just a really important um, way to access an understanding of that political history, but also of why we, you know, celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture today. And, yeah, so very important. At the um, beginning of the year, we ha- uh, spoke a bit about um, the Pride March um yeah, and as part of the Midsummer Festival, and how there's still this tension between people who, like, whether it, we can ever purely celebrate something, or whether there's always a political element or element of mourning or stress. Um, I'm wondering, you were saying how NAIDOC started as a protest and now is mm. a celebration. Can you, we have both? Should we alternate? Can we do both at once? What do yeah, you think I think. That? I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like it's about finding that balance and and um, and celebrating our achievements, celebrating our political milestones, those watersheds that we all share in our history, in an indigenous sense or in a non-indigenous sense, uh, in a in a gay sense. And so, you know, I mean, I'm being Aboriginal. There's something that is core to my being, and that is you respect your elders and you respect the legacy that they created for you. I mean, I wouldn't be here yarning to you all on air at Joy if it weren't for the tenacity, the resistance, the the fight that my elders gave me. I mean, even today I was reading a blog about my grandmother's country from Wiradjuri country, which is in central New South Wales, and there was this really lovely, simple, short blog by this non-Indigenous guy who just acknowledged the fact that there were massacres on my grandmother's country, and we are survivors, so, you know, my grandmother survived that onslaught of the invasion and colonisation, and that's really important to sort of honour that and, and acknowledge that, and again, celebrate that in the sense of we have survived, and you can take that in an Aboriginal sense, you can take it in a gay sense or a you know, queer sense, and yeah, run with it. Cool. You're listening to a Joycast from GLB, TIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Hello, you are listening to Is Nothing Sacred on Joy 94.9, and we have a new guest. We do, as I warned you at the beginning, dear listeners, dear Joysters, I said we would ha- we may have a very special surprise guest, and we do. It's very special in here. It is very special in here. Somebody went to special school, obviously. <laughs> but anyway, in the studio with us now, sitting between me and Brian, is Uncle Jack Charles, yeah. who is a who is 
an Aboriginal actor preeminent in Australia. He's one of the, the most well-known faces, and he's certainly bloody well-known after he got his heart ripped out on uh, Clever Man a few weeks ago. Poor fella. <laughs> He's looking well. I had a moment when that happened. It was yeah. It was very sad. Uh, yes, yes. So I'm doing well uh, in the series because uh, at the same time they showed Clever Man the first episode. They showed my series in uh, in uh, Wolf Creek and also in uh, Rake. And that's how I've been picked up a lot uh, by the uh, the business. You know, writing me in little cameo roles, oh, that's which is good, a great respect. Uh, for me, I believe it's a good good thing. You know, well, you're a seasoned actor. You're a, an amazing performer in both film and on the stage. And can I just sort of point out too that uh, I mean, sorry to take over, guys, but no, go right ahead. Uncle Jack is a gay man, and it wasn't until I mean, he's always been a part of our community. Like I've known Uncle Jack for over 20 years, I think, mm-hmm. having lived in Melbourne most of that time, and um, known Uncle Jack from you know theatre, film, etc. But He's actually gay, and it wasn't until he released his documentary, Bastardy, which, um, mm-hmm. you know, was promoted in the gay press. And I was like, hmm, this is, you know, deadly that Uncle Jack's been promoted in the gay press, but why is that? Read the article, and he's a gay man. So I just want to kind of put that out there, too. I great hadn't really great name. That's, that's a great way to come out. Yeah, I hadn't really intended to you out didn't myself, really intend to out but I noticed it happening when I first saw it on the first... Uh, we had two premiere nights at the Melbourne International Film Festival in 2008, such were the crowds lining up around the block. And so uh, and when I first saw it on the first night, you know, uh, it blew my mind that I had, uh, you know, uh, unwittingly <laughs> outed myself in so many different ways here. <laughs> it was but fabulous. it was a documentary that uh, uh, white Australia needed to see. Well, the truth will out person's the journey. And that, you know, and I... You know, I, I never lingered much on my homosexuality, but uh, it's embedded in many of the scenes that you see in Bastardy, in the documentary, and the comments I make. And I can remember the first time I met you, Uncle Jack, I bowled up to you fanboy-like <laughs> at the <laughs> North Shopping Centre when we were doing <laughs> our shopping. And said, One of the many men that approached me at the night. And I asked him to come on joy, and he said, Yeah, sure. <laughs> so no, uh, it, it, uh, when I first came into Aboriginal Melbourne, uh, um, after, well, after uh, uh, you know, my, my second entry into Aboriginal Melbourne uh, during the late 60s, early 70s, um, I remember walking in with my mate uh, Jack. Jack, uh, his name was name was Jack too. He had a caftan on, and I was walking. You know, we were holding hands along the dirty, dirty mile there. Um, he uh, with me and crushed yellow velvet flares. <laughs> so I thought there was a little bit. So I was standing. You know, it seemed. Uh, and then my perfect and you weren't out separated <laughs> me, yeah, and separated me from the mob and that you know I can't have expected everybody you know in prisons and things like this uh, and everybody knew that I was gay I assumed everybody knew it well you knew so why yes, should yes, everybody yes, else yes yes yes, yes. So, uh, and everybody's accepted it, and nobody's been jumping my bones about it. Uh, matter <laughs> we, of fact, uh, we like the idea nobody idea. raped me while I was doing all those 22 times incarcerated, and all those times in there, nobody had ever... Uh, that was research. You know, who, who, do, who, who would want to rape the scribe? Because that was my first job, looking after the guys writing their letters, and that they couldn't write, so they asked me to write their letters <laughs> for them. 
So you were able to tell their mums exactly what they were up to. Yes. <laughs> Condon. Yes, yes. But, uh, um, yes, we've got a new government in, and they're hard set on doing this, uh, on this, um, uh, what do they call it? Um, uh, they're going to ask people to vote uh, on the uh, plebiscite. plebiscite. They are. Uh, that's going to cause disruption. And that. The same thing goes, thing with... Um, uh, with um, this uh, Abbott push to rush through a change for the Constitution. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this freaky idea that we just cannot ask white Australia to vote mm. yay or nay mm-hmm. on anything Indigenousness-wise until, you know, we've had... Uh, here in Victoria, we're about to bleed onto the Victorian schools curriculum. The story of Corrandirk, the first Indigenous, you know, early Victorian Aboriginal history, early, early settler history, well, post-invasion becomes, and that, you know. When William Barrack becomes a real hero of the Australian community, then mm. it might be somewhere towards getting reconciliation. Right? And just back to that point, I guess, that you raised earlier around, I guess, what's the parallels between, say, an Aboriginal identity and a queer identity or a gay identity. I mean, if you look at those issues of the plebiscite and uh, this constitutional recognition or a treaty, there are parallels that you can see in terms of we as gay people or we as black people are rights holders and we have the right to say, this is what we want. We don't want a plebiscite. We want marriage equality as, you know, given by the parliament because that's your... I guess that's your mandate as leaders of this country. Similarly, we want a treaty when it comes to our Mm. people. We don't want constitutional recognition. We don't want to be consumed by the non-Indigenous system without our sovereign rights being recognised. So there are similarities that we need to, I guess, point out and feel safe in Mm. as queer people, as Aboriginal black people, as those of us blessed with both identities. We need to, you know, kind of acknowledge that we have rights that we need to say this is what we want and why should we as Aboriginal people give ourselves over to the you know democratic process voting public that will vote against us I remember why should we do that as queer people too I remember Mm. Celeste Little you know the fabulous Mm. black feminist ranter Mm. telling us on air one night that um, that you know reconciliation was a white person's um, issue yeah. And we need to we need to get our heads around reconciliation. Not Aboriginal people don't need to get their heads around reconciliation. They've reconciled enough. Yeah, tr- and true. I mean, look at say some place like South Africa where apartheid existed, and it was actually influenced by the policies and legislation of Queensland. Uh, surprise, surprise! In terms of how do you segregate a, a people, in terms of races, and apartheid in South Africa was influenced by the policies in Queensland, and you know it's wow. kind of like yeah, so you. Yeah, it's. I mean, That's <laughs> it's sort of unbelievable, isn't it? But it is. It's, it's unbelievable. But, guess, but the way that, yeah, I guess, and I guess my point I wanted to make was just that at the end of that post-apartheid era, they went through a process of truth and reconciliation, and we've got this half-assed reconciliation mm. notion that was government-led without the truth part. And, and every time know. anybody says anything about a massacre or or a genocide, everybody goes, oh, no, don't say that, don't talk about that, mm. and carry on when we all know it's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, you see, you've got to go hard. You need bastards like me in particular to be in that right situation. I told Australia-wide on Q&A that it had to get used to the word racism. Mm. The response against that 
Adam Good's behaviour and the, the offside behaviour by the fans is a direct result of the chronic lack of education in our school's curriculum and of, of, of Indigenous history. We know the stories in, in our Aboriginal history. We can source all the stories to proof of evidence from our parliamentary libraries of letters written during those days by both black and white people into Parliament. It's all there for the reading. History. So we've developed Corinder to begin that process. So Victoria, thank you. We're setting the bar here. You know, I suppose Secret River has already been studied by New South Welsh children and that, you know, and etc. The story of the Darug people, mm. you know, so continuously over the years it's been the writers, the actors, the performing black artists of Bungara dance that have been telling Indigenous history over Which is many why years. story is so important, isn't mm. it? And yeah. story as a central part of Aboriginal culture mm. should become a central part of Australian culture. Yeah. Can you the great gift of Aboriginal people to Australia. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be limited to just that arts and culture scene. I mean, I'd like. To, I mean, I think we are in the midst of a political renaissance in Australia, where we are under a conservative government. We've been under a conservative government, and Aboriginal people are asserting this um, demand for a treaty. We're not talking. We, we've actually rejected constitutional. Is, is the election of Linda Burney a um, a major step, or is it a? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a it's a watershed in the sense that she's the first Aboriginal woman to occupy a lower house seat. I understand. Yeah, she and, is. Yeah, and so yeah, so that's great in that sense. She's been a state MP. Um, within yeah, the she South was Wales deputy government. leader of the Labor Party. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so, so I she's guess, a pretty skilled woman. She yeah, sure absolutely. Is, yeah, and yeah. just yeah, she's a woman. That mm. you know, that's 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 a great thing. She's Aboriginal too, and and so I think it's very important there, yeah, that yeah, she's yeah. in our federal parliament yeah, to, yeah. you know, be a voice for our cause. Because again, outside of um, constitutional recognition, to use that term, but also just outside of any structure that acknowledges us politically through a treaty, mm. um, we need people like Linda to be there to be that voice of reason within that democratic system that doesn't always factor us in, like in the queer sense too. Mm. I've worked with her and she's really quite a spectacular person. Mm. She's amazing, yeah? She's very much so. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Um, so you are on It's Nothing Sick with Joy 94.9. We're, doing, we're talking about NAIDOC week, but more than that, we're talking about um, Aboriginal history, Aboriginal culture, what it means here and now. With uh, people who are actually with, making it. With people who know what they're doing. <laughs> um, and we were talking before a bit about Corin Dirk, hmm. um, and I was wondering if you could um, share a bit more about why it's important, what it is, hmm. and, yeah. Queen, Queen Victoria had given William Brack um, a plot of land for the loss of Melbourne <laughs> when they wanted to move everybody out of Melbourne they shunted up into them into uh, um, different uh, missions around uh, Victoria six of them there were some of the younger ones were culled from this group of blackfellas from all over Victoria and uh, they were they were trained to be uh, the Victorian Native Police Force. They were sent in, weren't they? Yes, yes, yes. Control uh, of you, yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a lot, uh, not a lot has been written about them. But the retirees of that mob, right, had settled down, 
had gotten older, had started to, uh, 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 well, were in the back into the community centres and that, you know, as a retirement program. Queen Victoria, you know, had honoured William Brack not only for the loss of Melbourne, but for services rendered, perhaps, uh, with his duties uh, in, in the Victorian Native Police Force. And many members of my great-greats were also members of that great of that police force. And, uh, and they're on their retirement, they settled down at, uh, at uh, one of the uh, six surrounding stations in Victoria, many of them in Corrandirt, my great-greats. And uh, they made a success of that farm. We were there to toss in those those uh, those places to uh, to kill ourselves and to you know, expected to die out. But we bred, we educated ourselves in these missions. We developed the land. We grew the fattest in Corinda, the fattest and bushiest of hops for the Melbourne Brewery, winning first prize for the Royal Melbourne Show in 1880. And so the squatters around Hillsville were really envious and quite pissed off over the blackfellas being so <laughs> successfully working the land, earning a quid, selling produce into that town of Hillsville, that they did all manner of naughty things to try and make them look as though they couldn't uh, work the land. They'd pull down the fences, destroy the crops, trying to move the people off their land, and shooting the odd blackfella that was off country. For instance, my great-great-grandfather, John Charles, was shot. You know, if you're off the mission, you were still fair game in those days uh, for uh, the Sunday after church shoot, the hunt. Well, you weren't a real person, were you? You weren't a real person, so you were shot just as much as the kangaroos were being hunted with their greyhounds and etc. in those days and that, you know. Oh, yes, this was going on. So, so... uh, so, so the, and the other thing is now, you know, we're bleeding this story onto the school's curriculum, right? Year 10 and 12, we've been performing it for droves of them in various schools around uh, Melbourne and uh, into the hinterland of suburbia and that. And, uh, and they're relishing, they're absorbing it, they love it and that because this has not been allowed to be told them. But it's also their history as well. And it's their history, yeah. So, um, so that's going to be bled in. I'm so pleased that this is happening. Are you uh, writing it? Uh, no, no, it's written by a, a, a descendant, uh, Andrea uh, James, a descendant of, uh, of William Brack himself. Uh, he's a, she's a playwright. And, um, and so she wrote the, the play, researched by um, uh, Melbourne University people, uh, Andrea uh, uh, Giordano Nano, and, um, and, perf- and uh, developed by um, La Mama Theatre uh, with, with, um, uh, with the Albidgery Theatre too, developing another show, a six-actor one. But uh, the, the, the show basically is that the actors in it, in the La Mama production and the Albidgery Theatre production, uh, say the exact words that were spoken and given in evidence at uh, oh. two royal commissions that took place in 1880, one on soil and one in Parliament. And they had written so many letters of complaints against the uh, Aboriginal Protection Board, against the squatters' behaviour, against the management, against the the uh, uh, the fact that so many of their young ones were dying of pneumonia because there weren't enough blankets to be. Am given I right out. or wrong in in believing that William Barrack then led a march from yes, he led, to he Melbourne? Led these, yes, 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 oh, yes. Yep. We had. 
Tommy McRae. Many people were scribes, um, you know, and wrote these letters for many people in that place. And when you write to Parliament, even today, if so many letters are written in, Parliament has to act on those letters. So in 1880, they had these two uh, commissions, uh, commissions of inquiry into the management and to decide upon the future of the residents at Corrindirk, the exact words. And if people don't know who William Barrack is, all they need to do is to walk over to the um, end of Swanson Street and look, right, yeah. look up at this really huge apartment, very luxury apartment building for Melbourne's rich. Mm. And on the front of it? Is his profile? Yeah, like his profile. Yeah, there's a wonderful architectural genius. It is an architectural genius work of art. And if you stand down at the shrine and look, great respect by architects of Melbourne, whoever that mob is, to to acknowledge that William Brack, last um, um, uh, warrior rung leader. And so I do both uh, William Barak uh, in in both productions of uh, Corin Dirk at uh, La Mama and uh, Il Bidri. And um, uh, in Il Bidri's production, I speak his lingo. He did it in his, you know, his petition in lingo. And so I do it in the Woyorong language that he spoke. Of course, taken directly from the text, uh, from the transcripts of the Royal Commission. Was it hard to get your tongue around those words or not? Or did, uh, you, did they, they come, come back they, into they your They come, head? they come, yes, yes. I mean, sometimes I'm required to, to uh, you know, perform, you know, over, over in Noongar, you speak Noongar language or Yora language or Dorog language and et cetera around the country. But it's only, you know, for, for that period of time, even for clever man, I was supposed to, you know, I did a bit of language for that too. That was a Western New South Wales language, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so that's fantastic. So yes, yes. So Australia's got, look. You know, there's more stories that we can. You know, we have been dying to tell the stories to white Australia mm. right round the country for many years. You know, touring just Jack Charles versus the Crown mm. around the, the festival sites around Melbourne. I mean, around Australia, over in the west, where all the South Africans settled well, over there. And you took it to London and took it over to the mother country, the mother bloody country. And <laughs> not your and mother, country. Not, Dublin, mother country. not our mother country. Not our mother country. Dublin, <laughs> like, and you know, I've been back three or four months from. Um, <laughs> From uh, from um, South uh, from uh, from Canada, it was the ultimate destination to hit uh, Canada with Jack Giles versus the Crown. How do how they receive it there? Oh, they uh, loved it. Standing yeah, ovations so. every yeah, night in every performance. Liberated. Well, they do actually have an Indigenous state now. Mm. Yeah, Vince, yeah. Don't they? yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, met all their uh, elders and etc. And uh, yeah, they have. Uh, uh, problems with uh, uh, their uh, the equivalent of our style and generations. The mm. residential schoolies come out much like me coming out of Box Hill Boys Home after abuse mm. and that, and continuing the abuse of their fellows and etc. So it's uh, uh, they've got big, uh, especially in uh, in uh, Ottawa and um, and uh, Vancouver. They've got these organisations. They're run by these community centres. Mm-hmm. And that, you know. Uh, and this is the basic fact. We're missing out on these community centres. We once had them in the mm-hmm. 70s, but they've all disappeared from the landscape mm-hmm. in every village, in every town and city. Are all the, our communities are have the been stolen abandoned. generations 
community groups still running or not? Are they they're, they're supposed, yeah, now? they're supposed to be running, but they're they're done by non you know NGOs, white people, etc. Like oh, of this, course. so it's not they're the people not really with the doing skills. It. You mean <laughs> connecting home doesn't connect people. Oh, to not home. necessarily, Jim. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't suggest. I mean, actually, that's the problem within in, within Indigenous affairs is that a lot of NGOs are getting into our space and monopolising our money and using it um, for, mm. I guess, their administration. And you know, when you talk about rights, there's a central tenant to rights and that's self-determination and self-determination is ensuring that Aboriginal people are funded accordingly to heal and you have organisations like the Healing Foundation nationally that help with I guess healing in a, in a more general sense. Who's its CEO? Oh, I'm not sure, oh, actually it's a woman and um, and I'm, I'd, I'd be lying if I told you who it was but then I guess on a state level there's like connecting home and um, but yeah like I, there is a real issue across the country when it comes to n- non-Indigenous NGOs who are again you know winning the tenders, government tenders for funding to service our community and they often come with a, a religious, a political lens that isn't honouring self-determination. And, and, and it's not, uh, you know, culturally responsive too. Yeah. I had to fight tooth and nail against connecting homes yeah. in the protection of my of my nephew after uh, after they did uh, sod all for my brother Archie. You remember Archie, my brother, mm, walking yeah. around cold like that, you know? Well, uh, he was given two large care packages from Big Cat to... Uh, to you know, to care for him, but they they failed at uh, the, their duty in that one. So I've uh, made a response to them. I says, uh, you know, that they, they tried to get one of my nephews into their care, and uh, they were going to Melbourne uh, court to have him delivered to them. So I, uh, I, I threatened the Aboriginal Advancement, uh, I mean Aboriginal Affairs people. I said I would sue that mob if they uh, had anything to do with the Charles's again. So they stopped. Good on you. You need buggers <laughs> like me. The same <laughs> thing goes. I'm still fighting this taxi issue, mate. Mm. I'm you glad know to hear about that. The taxi we do know about here. the taxi. So the point is, it's very sensitive when you want to work from behind, when you don't want to be in their face and actually sue the three particular gentlemen that became it became global. You know. If I fart over here in Australia, it gets reported in the BBC in Canada <laughs> nowadays. As it should. And as it should, I suppose. So the point is, so um, I want to bleed onto the Victorian schools, taxi training schools, their driving training schools, cross-cultural awareness program delivered by a Torres Strait Islander Aboriginal person. I know who we're, mm. we're going to use. You know, so they're waiting, we're wait, they're waiting in the wings, these people mm. that can deliver this service to the taxi driving training schools. Mm. I want to do it. Richard Franklin wants to do a little bit of it too to introduce the program to the taxi driving training schools. We are going to continue this conversation, but we need to have a little break. Um, And we would love to hear from you if you have um, questions for Brian or Jack. Um, Please SMS on 0427 JOY949 or email on air at joy.org.au. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Hi there, Joysters. This is Jim, and I'm in the studio with Steph and James, Brian Andy and Uncle Jack Charles. And we're talking things Aboriginal tonight, and we were just discussing before we... um, 
went to those messages about casual racism. I think that's the white term for it, isn't it? Casual mm. racism. Mm. It's a bit of a euphemism, isn't it? It's a terrible euphemism. <laughs> What's casual about being denied services? I think it's casual like you have casual work, like it just could mm. strike at any time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know when you're going to get it. And people, and people <laughs> don't know they're doing it because yeah. it's just part of their, part of yeah. what's ingrained in them because that's yeah, what they've well, brought up you to know, do. From observations and years' experience... Uh, the idea, I've got it noted now, I've got, I'm keeping a black watch on those that have sought sanctuary from the subcontinent continent into our country that have become taxi drivers. In the main, these are the culprits that are disrespecting our people, disrespecting me. I've become now so, so paranoid because I'm an obvious, I look obviously who I look like. And so I believe from that moment, immediately after being awarded the Victorian Senior Australian of the Year and that disrespect by that cab driver to ask me for that, uh, that amount of money uh, when I had this taxi driver, uh, taxi, uh, uh, you know, the voucher. A government uh, one. Uh, yeah, a government one uh, by the Australia, you know, awards people, uh, that uh, it, it's, uh, it's time... For me to uh, now um, uh, to make uh, you know uh, uh, to address this situation once and for all, it's very sensitive. Nobody likes to be called racism. Mm-hmm. I declared him to be a racist when he immediately after he asked me to pay a sum of money. It's a ploy these kind of people use. I don't like saying these kind of people, but it's a ploy. We know the, it, it, but, it's but, a ploy that yeah. taxi drivers can use to keep you out of your taxi. But also you've got to think about it in the context of the culture and where it's bred. And that is, I guess, just to be to stereotype or to generalise, Australian culture is racist. It was built on the foundations of racism. So taxi drivers and a lot of members of our society are, I guess, privy, for want of a better word, um, to this education, this culture that is racist. And that but you could argue also that the indigenous people. people who are from Sri Lanka or southern India should be if very aware because the racism you against Tamils and the us, untouchable... Like we're the lowest caste. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And if untouchable. You, and if you do when the, in Rome... If you do the DNA, <laughs> if you do the DNA analysis, yes, yes. funnily enough, they are... Mm on the same branch as Aboriginal Australians. And there are words in Pichinjara which are same words in um, in Tamil. Well, I think, yeah. So it's a, it's a point that we are brothers in arms. This is what we need to. I need to be able to talk to taxi drivers personally, go over to Essendon Airport over there where they all congregate and uh, stand on the soapbox and start talking to them because I'll be telling them, your sons and daughters here in Victoria at our public schools, at our private schools are going to be aware of Indigenous Victorian Aboriginal history. Get on board, Mum. Get on board. Or dad, you mm. know, because they're going to be learning Victorian Aboriginal history, and maybe you'll develop a, uh, a semblance of respect that we've been crying out for for, for over two hundred years. So you're going to have a um, a short version of Corin Dirk to go to all the, um, the old folks' homes and things like that, so that older people can actually hear their own history. Uh, we buff them in, you know, Aboriginal theatre. We have community nights. And they're free. I mean, white, white older. Well, you know, community nights, anybody can come in, you know. I mean, pensioners, you know, we, we do it down at the Fairfax studio. When we do shows down there, we have 
community nights down there. At the Arts Centre, yeah. And, and I'm, everybody I'm comes in. I'm coming next time. Yes, come in next time. You know, the pensioners. We should make a bigger play for that, mate. We did it over in Canada. They've never done this, never seen this idea before that we'd have community nights. I said, well, we're an Aboriginal theatre. We insist wherever we perform, we have community, two community mm-hmm. nights, you know. That's the thing, and it's a great promotional marketing vehicle. It's a great you know, marketing idea. You just, yeah. like, you know, bringing people, for, like, in, uh, I guess, the dress rehearsal for one of a better term and just, you know, let and them experience something and they talk about it. In Calgary, uh, no, in Ottawa, they're, they're all screaming out. <laughs> they're all drunks and, you know, on some substance and all that. But it, you know, really lifts up the show. Well, they've probably got it, yeah. tea and scones as well out in the foyer. <laughs> yes, so it was a good reason to go. <laughs> yes. Scones are just damper after all. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, just with a bit of butter through them. We <laughs> do have a message that has just come through um, from Maria who says, um, what was the name of the beautiful song played at 10.45? I tuned in and my Shazam didn't pick it up. It was Jeffrey Yunipingu. Gurumo Jeffrey Yunipingu, if you go to your favourite music service, and it's called um, Jarimiri, which is spelled D J A. R I M I R R I. Yes. Jerry Murray, which is a um which is a a word a from word. a young yeah. word from the from Arnhem Land. And it is a really beautiful song. He's just an amazing performer. To see him live, he was at the Arts House in uh, as part of the Melbourne Festival a few years back and he's blind and just the way he evokes and sings up country as a blind man just I guess is a testament to Aboriginal oral traditions, like I mean, that aside, he is an amazing performer. I think our show has sadly almost come to an end. <laughs> we do have um, one more beautiful song coming up, but I think it's time to say good night. I feel this hour has flown. You are amazing, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Thank you for for. So thank Telling you very much so to, to, to Jack Charles. Again. Yes, yes. And thank you to... to see, oh, he's almost Uncle Brian Andy these days. Oh, yes, yes. He's, oh. I can see grey in that beard, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Jim, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, James, for pushing all those buttons. No worries, guys. <laughs> and thank you, Steph, for coming in. Thank and you, as Jim. we said, this is our... One of our last shows. We'll be on again next week and the week after, so mm. please stay tuned on Monday nights at 10 to hear more of our rat baggery. Thank you so much. Thank you again for this evening. You, you have been listening to Is Nothing Sacred on Joy 94.9. Good night. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.